and welcome everyone to another episode of the Gaming Moguls Podcast, the only podcast where the entire pile of presents under the tree are 12 inches by 12 inches by 3 inches. I'm your host tonight, Mr. Mark Teske, along with my co-host, Mr. Jake Klopfenstein. Jake, any 12 by 12 by 3 boxes under your tree tonight? No, weirdly none whatsoever. This is, I think, one of the few years that I've kind of put a kibosh on asking for games. I have enough of them. I figure we can just play the ones we own. Isn't that weird? It's not like me. It is weird. Well, you know what? Last year, as we were kind of giving each other games and so forth, you said, you know, my new, my new thing is giving gaming accessories. And I'm like, mm, that's a pretty good idea, actually. Right, <laughs> you're getting yeah. something for a game you know somebody's going to like. Right, yeah, and it works out a little bit better. But we have a very special episode today because we are joined by more than just us two tonight. I think we have a special guest, don't we? Indeed we do. This is my Christmas treat right here. We got the third gaming mogul with us tonight, Mr. Dennis Zerwas. Hey, DZ, how's it going tonight? Jake and Mark, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, that's wonderful. I can't believe we have the other one. So Dennis is the everything that actually gets done on the podcast is all thanks to him. So Mark and I are just the pretty ones and we don't do anything of merit. Dennis does it all. He's he's everything to us. Ironically, he's the one with the face for TV, too. I know. <laughs> Clearly, we started a podcast because the way we look. <laughs> had we known we had Dennis on it, maybe we'd actually do some live streams and something. You guys are way too kind. Sculpted jawline. Way too kind right off the bat. <laughs> Thank you. Indeed. Before we get into this one now, why don't you give us a little background on yourself? Let, let our kind listeners know exactly who you are. Sure. Thanks, Mark. My name is Dennis. Uh, I am from the Twin Cities, much like Mark and Jake. I'm also a photographer, which is how I connected with Mark uh, about eight years ago. And I've been a casual gamer, very, very light stuff. A lot of what you'll find on the shelves at some of your department stores, nothing real heavy. And I remember one time we were, I was hosting a photography retreat. And Mark, that was the first time I had met you. And I remember you saying, hey, I, I brought some board games. And I was like, oh, cool. He brought categories or, you know, something like that. And then you proceeded to <laughs> produce this giant bag of games, which all looked really awesome. And I was way into, but it turns out that that group just really wasn't into big into gaming. So I was like, all right, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, you know, then fast forward to last December. You guys dropped the very first episode of Gaming Moguls. And I caught that on your Facebook page. Just listening to that first episode was such a an eye opener because I had no idea the breadth of the hobby and the depth of the hobby, just how many rabbit holes there were and how deep all of those rabbit holes went down. So I got to thank you for getting me turned uh, onto the hobby in this sense. And yeah, it's been a blast. I have a wife and two kids that are 12 and 15 and board gaming has just been a neat way to connect with them and get back to the table and have some really fun experiences. I originally did think when you said uh, breath of the hobby, you were making fun of our first episode of the gaming moguls because <laughs> a little bit very much full of breath. Yeah, a little bit. Of I thought these guys are so passionate about the hobby. It turns out it was just they're a just setting. so winded all the time. It was just so winded. Well, that's awesome. We're so happy to have you on here, and it's so been so wonderful to have you part of the gaming group too, locally and be willing to play so many awesome games with us. It's been just awesome. Absolutely. And Dennis actually helps us uh, with a lot of things behind the scenes on The Gaming Moguls. All those little show notes and timeline things that you find on your podcast, that's all him. All the links out to the games, that's him. The graphic that's on there, that's Dennis. And Dennis has been keeping the trains running on time here for the better part of six or nine months now. So thought it was time to yank him up from behind the counter. Well, I appreciate it. And part of what, uh, what made me imagine and say, hey, let me game. And oddly enough, it was after the blinging out episode. I said, let me deluxify your show notes, because right from that first episode, <laughs> I was looking up all of these words and names and game names were very new to me. Very new. So I found myself looking up on this thing you guys called BGG, which I had never heard of in December, if you can believe that. I had no idea such a, a nice resource existed for the hobby. And I remember I was looking up everything. And finally, by about episode 10, I said, Mark, let me just let me put this together for you. And maybe there's some other aspiring gamers out there that this will be a nice resource for them as well. Yeah, oh, that's been awesome, Dennis. And man, we've gotten a lot of thank yous and compliments on the fact that we do that. So <laughs> passing them directly on to you. Fantastic. Awesome. By the way, I remember exactly what that first game we played that one night. And what was it? We kind of got some stink eye from the other people at the photography. It was Wits. We did. Yeah, it was Wits and Wagers. Do you remember that? I do. Yes. I remember there was that one. And then there was something to do with somebody who was a spy. But again, that was eight years ago. So oh, the resistance. I may not remember yeah. it. Oh, there we go. I knew you would remember it. Like a steel trap that Mark's brain is. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, very memorable night. Anyway, welcome aboard. So as per every other guest that we have online, it's Dennis's opportunity to sit at the table with us and join in our gaming conversation for the evening and become our third mogul for the night. Before we get into it, got a couple of uh, little housekeeping notes, shall we say, that we're going to go over ahead of time. First off, as we talked about in our last episode, we're in the process of revamping our mogul scale ratings just a little bit because after using it for a year, we realized that, you know, there wasn't a lot of ones getting assigned and there probably wasn't a lot of fives getting assigned either. And it was time to maybe rethink it and kind of normalize our ratings. So what's probably going to happen here is that there's going to be some ones pushed up to twos, twos pushed up to threes, and some threes pushed up to fours. Maybe we'll actually find our first five finally out of this deal because <laughs> we don't really know what a five is at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Look for changes on our Gaming Moguls page on that one. Also, last time we announced a contest. Jake, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners about what we got running right now? So when we first started this podcast, we had a small little logo made and the directions to the person on Fiverr was kind of make it look like the Monopoly man, but if it was in a Sashi and Sashi game and they ended up drawing a wonderful little bit of art for it, but we've never actually named him. We have no way to refer to him. We just kind of call him the little Monopoly man and that is no good. So what we have is we have a contest to name our little logo. To find this, you have to go to our website, gamingmoguls.com slash contest. You can also get there from our main page and you just have to put in an entry. You can enter multiple times and Mark, Dennis and I will choose the best one. The winner will win a copy of Modern Art by Reiner Knizia and published by Oink, the kind of more rare edition that is only in France and Germany. So regrettably, it's not in English, but it's a really language independent game. And there's actually some paste ups on BGG for the screens anyway, so you can see the whole thing it's wonderful it's a beautiful edition sophie you guys can enjoy it as much as we do yeah it's this cool little oink size double size oink box about the same size as nine tiles panic if any of you've seen that one and it's it's by far my favorite edition of a great reiner kinesia auction game with all of our admin work out of the way let's talk about some games we played this week mark you have the most this week why don't you hit us off with the first one well so i had an ulterior motive in inviting our friend dennis on board dennis are you aware of what that was um, did I fulfill some sort of topic of some sort? <laughs> uh, well, the, so the, the thing is, I've actually gamed with you, unlike somebody else on this podcast. Yes, it seems like Mark and I never actually play games together, and you guys are off at the other table having fun together while I'm crying while playing bus. Right. Aww. So the net net is there's a bunch of games I've been dying to talk about that Jake hasn't seemed fit to play, but you have. So <laughs> I needed somebody to talk about these games with. Oh, I get it now. All right. Uh, first off, we've actually all three played this one, and this is a game I've been waiting to talk about for a while because pound for pound, it's the biggest thing here on the menu. I'm talking about the Snowdonia Deluxe Master Set that was delivered on Kickstarter midsummer, probably late summer, by Tony Boydell and a whole bunch of people, published by NSKN Games. You know, my joke about a, oh, what is that, 12 by 12 by 3 gate box? This is a 12 by 12 by 9 box, probably. It's a big fat thing, and the reason being is it's got every possible little component of Snowdonia all crammed inside of it. What Snowdonia is, it's a game that was actually published several years ago, and due to its popularity, had a whole bunch of additional add-ons, mini expansions, scenarios, joke cards, magazine editions. You name it, tons of stuff has been created for Snowdonia over the years. And the idea with the Kickstarter is, is that they would try to coalesce all of those add-ons into one big definitive collection of Snowdonia stuff. Right. And that's what they did. Well, and this game is ridiculous. I mean, this is one of the games that if you take it into a forest, the trees will quiver because of how much just cardboard is in there. It is nearly stuffed to the gill of just cardboard for all the cards. It's ridiculous something like 800 900 cards in there or something like that it literally took me three to four hours to sleeve all those cards it was obnoxious absolutely ridiculous snowdonia is a game where it's functionally a midway euro you are different railway building companies trying to profit the most and build the most things in snowdonia they're building a rail up to the peak the way that this is done is by having two workers for everybody and there's a bunch of different worker placement spots on the board this is one of those games, much like Dominant Species, where you first play out all of your workers and then you resolve the actions down the line. So kind of depending on when you're going to time to place is very important in this game. It ends up being a really tight, really concise, really interesting Euro worker placement game. 
The other thing that I really love about this game is there's a bunch of different cubes that are both resources and a market with said resources. And finally, are events that can come out. There's a handful of other colored cubes in there that trigger events, which are something you certainly need to plan for. What did you think of this game there, Dennis? It was fantastic. We played it. I played it twice now. The one thing that I really liked about it is that it's not just all the players playing uh, you know, on a board against each other. The board itself actually becomes like another player because when you're up against those event cubes and one of the, my favorite parts of the game is the weather. The weather can uh, is forecasted and when the, when the weather is crummier, you know, work doesn't happen as fast. And when sunny days are around, you can work a little quicker. But the board itself kind of becomes like this uh, antagonist in the in the whole game. And it really adds a lot because you'll think you got maybe 30 minutes of game left. And the next thing you know, these event cubes come out and it's pretty much over in five, 10 minutes. And it always feels like you're going to have more time. And then the door just slams shut so fast. Absolutely. What happens is, is that at the end of every round, you actually restock the market with resources drawn out of the bag. And when you spend resources, they go back into the bag. So the three resources you've got is you've got iron, you've got stone, and you've got coal. And those go both in and out of the bag. And there's a small number of white cubes, which are the event cubes. So every turn you pull out a certain number of cubes, depending on how many players there are. And if a white cube comes out, you immediately resolve that event. And some of those events include like building track or completing stations or making you pay maintenance on your trains, for example. And a big chunk of the game is managing those events, because if everybody hoards resources and just gets a giant pile of iron and stone, well, guess what? Now you've increased the frequency of those white cubes somewhat dramatically to the point where they're going to come out pretty often. But if you everybody spends up their stuff quickly, well, now the odds of the white cubes coming out aren't quite so often. And what ends up happening functionally is most of the time those events are stealing scoring opportunities from players that people are set up and ready to take. And all of a sudden the game will walk in and swoop them out from underneath you. Or, as we saw in several of our games, walk in and swoop the trains right out from underneath you. Dennis, did you get uh, (laughs) sucked up in train again there last time we played? I did. I did. I got a brand new shiny train. Event cubes drop, and I lost that shiny train. Why? Because I didn't plan ahead. Lesson learned. (laughs) Yeah, you're required to pay an iron when the uh, train maintenance thing comes, or a steel when it comes up. If you don't, you lose it. The reason you need a train is because you actually have a third worker. And you can use your train and the power of that to actually selectively put a third worker in every round if you pay a coal. And that, of course, obviously having one more worker than your co-players is going to make you get ahead in the game somewhat. So important to have that train. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the last time we played Mark with uh, William, he was the only one without a train. And right when we bought our big expensive trains, all of a sudden the rusting event happens and immediately, like I think three events happen in one thing. And it was, it was really brutal. Yeah. I think we had a case where literally three white cubes came out just back to back to back and all of a sudden just boom, 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 boom. And we're all like, what? <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. Yeah. I, I think it's a, a fun little game. I was, I'm kind of a little bit torn about this game. It's one of the most content filled games that I've ever played for the listeners. I mean, this is like nearly a Gloomhaven sized box. Imagine two regular kind of 11 or le- by 11 or 12 by 12 boxes stacked together, maybe two or two and a half of those stacked on top of each other. And so I was kind of expecting this big thing that has been something that people have pushed and put so much content into. I thought it'd be kind of the next age of steam. And really, ultimately, this game is kind of a run of the mill, albeit good, normal Euro game. What did you end up thinking about it, Mark? You know, no secret here. I certainly have a soft spot for midway Euros. Man, sometimes you want tater tot hot dish. You don't want to have foie gras and uh, escargot. Sometimes you just want to have stroganoff or, you know, you just want to have some comfort food maybe. And this is certainly comfort food in terms of a train game. What I really, really find endearing about this game are the scenarios. It's an interesting game by itself, but where really I fell in love with it was the first time we pulled out one of the scenarios and how how much it warped the game and changed it to become thematic to whatever the scenario is. For example, the first one we did, oh, we did the Zugspitz scenario, which is actually doing like a very high mountaintop railway. And this one is crazy. It has snow. So actually what happens is if the weather comes up snow, there's an avalanche which fills back in your cleared routes. And you have to like only work where your surveyor is up the mountain. 
And finally, to reach the peak of the mountain, you have to go up a cable car, which requires spending a pretty big investment. And there's actually a race to get to the top. That just the thematicness of that made it really, really um, appealing to me and made me fall in love with the game. Dennis, you got a chance to play that scenario with me, too, as well, right? Uh, yeah, I did. That was that one was fun. Then we've also played the one uh, the, with the goats. But uh, even looking through all those different scenarios, it just shows that that game could be played so many times and all those different scenarios when you're kind of breezing through the book they all look really interesting and fun and kind of would put a different twist on the game just to change it up so you're not playing the same old board every time yeah and each scenario changes the rules extremely dramatically like the playing the Zugspitz the one I think that's what it's called. I don't remember. Very different experience in playing the very linear game that the base game is, the Mount Cynodonia scenario, and just leafing through the scenario book. I agree, Dennis. There is a huge variety in gameplay there. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that there's been so much love for this game that everyone can do that. I guess I was just, I, I still don't know how to feel about this game because I could probably rant about it for a while, but I'm not going to subject our listeners to it. It's just, I play a lot of games like this, and I don't know why someone would make so much for it. I guess people just really like it. Maybe it's the train theme or something. People just really like trains. I think a, a reasonable parallel is Ticket to Ride, where, I mean, you look at it, Ticket to Ride's a pretty straightforward, rummy-style game, and how many variants on that game do we have? There's a million and a half, right? Could you have a Ticket to Ride master set where they're all boxed together? I'm sure you probably could. Mm-hmm. And the same right. thing goes for, like, Age of Steam. I mean, how many ma- maps of Age of, of Steam are there? Over 150, 140? Right. But this is even more different than that. It's like they're changing base mechanisms of the game. They're not just tweaking, you know, I mean, some of them, they're completely different. Like there's an avalanche that didn't exist in in the game that we played or the original version of it, you know. Right, right. And there's a little bit of that age of steam. I mean, I'm thinking of the moon map where things wrap around and black cities only actually pay out if they're on the sun side of the map or something like that. I mean, that's a reasonable good analogy. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Not saying that there's anything else in common between the two games <laughs> right. other than a, the train theme. Age of Steam is uh, torturously painful, tight, stressful, etc. Whereas uh, I would say that Snowdonia is a little more of a uh, pleasurable wander through an alpine metal, <laughs> meadow yodeling and looking at uh, cows dangling their little cowbells and yeah. so forth in comparison. Well, you forgot to mention where you pull your third worker from when you do get a train. He's, <laughs> he's, at, he's at the pub the entire game. And once you get a train, then you can take him out of there and he's good for one turn and he heads right back. He's a thirsty fellow. Very thirsty. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's a kind, you know, most of the game is sort of a Welsh themed because that's where Mount Cynodonia is. And is there a backstory on the Welsh I need to know about? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They clearly love beer and will only work if you can pay them a coal. All I know is that um, I'd rather try to get a Welsh railroad worker out of the pub than try to pronounce, well, really anything in their language. Absolutely. So that is Snowdonia. Mark, you want to summarize it as a mogul scale? What would you think it'd be? I'm going to call this one probably a 3B, being that it's maybe a little more on the tactical side of things than the the strategic. It's a lot about timing and a lot about making your moves at the appropriate time. But you could also make an argument. It's a heavy B light C. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, I think that's about right. I, I, It seems to be in that realm. And it's one of those games, too, that you can probably play without knowing every little thing about the game, like the weather and everything. But one player at the table needs to know all that stuff, which definitely gets it to a three. For sure. So that's Snedonia by Tony Boydell and Friends and NSKN Games. Dennis, one of the rare times I didn't get a chance to play with you last week was last week. You were at the next table playing something I know nothing about. Why don't you tell us about it? I was able to get bosk to the table that's 2019 uh released this year that one is designed by daryl andrews and erica buyoris and that's published by floodgate games in the game of bosk players take turns setting out eight trees and there's four rounds in the game and when you're dealing with trees those automatically just become seasons so in springtime you're planting your trees summer becomes a scoring round and what happens in fall the leaves fall And then winter is also a scoring round. So each player has eight trees, which are essentially two sets valued one through four. And it's such a simple game. And it's one of those games where the abstractness strategy part of it really can hang. It hangs me up because even though I've got a degree in horticulture, shocker, just like Arboretum and photosynthesis, none of that carries over. It's just (laughs) it doesn't it doesn't work. And so players basically are setting their trees on your board is eight different regions and lightly over the board, there's a grid. 
So in the first uh, round, essentially spring, you're planting your trees and you just, it's very simple. You place your tree at the intersection of one of those grids. And then we go around the table a couple of times until that's all done. And then in summer, we then add up the value of each X and then Y uh, line at a time. Uh, and then from there, we move on to the autumn or fall. Again, so simple. Players have a stack of leaf tiles ranging from two to eight. And there's also a squirrel tile. And basically, when you play that number, that's how many leaves you get. And those leaves fall according to the prevailing wind. So it's kind of like leaves on a map, as you call dudes on a map. (laughs) These are leaves on a map. I know there's a deeper strategy to it. Again, it's not clicking with me, but it's fun. And when you have that on the table, it it got a lot of looks. And mostly, most of the time, people are saying that looks like photosynthesis, but it's it's nothing like it. Other than the trees look similar. But we had a great time. We ran it uh, twice. You know, it's a pretty quick game: twenty, forty minutes with four players. From what I've seen. It may have a little tendency, as, as with most abstract strategies do, you may have some AP issues if players are prone to that, but we, we are able to move along pretty quick. I really want to try this one. And if my memory serves me correct, this is published by the same people who did Sagrada, right? Does it kind of have the same kind of elegance as that game did? Uh, yeah, it actually makes me feel, it, when you look at it, it looks a lot like the game Parks. But then you realize no relation. So, but it could be just the theme and the art style, I think, is more uh, how that you can kind of see those both in that same art style with the deep contrast and bright, vivid colors. But um, yeah, it's 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 a fun game. It's fun. Well, we'll definitely have to try it sometime. And now it is your first time out here, Dennis. What would you give it as the mogul scale? Oh, this one. I was back and forth on this one. I would have to say because the rules just are so simple and it is such a thin uh, thin set of rules. I give it a one for sure. A one B. I like I said. I still haven't figured out the strategy part of it, so it may even be a one C. Which those are the good kind of games because low low entry uh, to get into as far as rules, but then it can be a little deeper on the strategy end of things. But we've really enjoyed it. That's awesome. Well, sound map for the next time you play it. it sounds like a game that's definitely Will in do. my yep. wheelhouse. So that's Boss by Daryl Andrews and Erica Buyuris. So the thing I'm dying to know, Dennis, is how well does it played when you're hearing the caterwauling of Folsom Prison Blues in the background? God, that was so bad. (laughs) I heard a version of Folsom uh, County Blues that I will never, ever forget. It makes it interesting, but uh, you two are playing other games where I literally said I cannot imagine playing the games that they're playing under these conditions. So for the listeners, we have recently moved locations and we go to a brewery by my house, which is great because they usually don't have a lot of events. It's actually a pretty sleepy brewery. There's always table space. And I didn't check the event schedule, but this past week they had a really loud amateur open mic night and it sounds just as bad as you would imagine. Everyone was awful. The The point that broke me was there was a guy who was both playing uh, he was both beatboxing and playing harmonica at the same time. Meanwhile, we were trying to play train games and I died. It was, it was a dark, dark time for me, a dark literally, chapter in my life. Literally dark, dark, because you know, we couldn't possibly see them well enough on stage unless they dimmed all the lights in the brewery as well. well. That's the other reason we play. They keep, keep all the lights up. It's actually well lit for once like compared to all the other bars that buy us. And they're so nice. And, and I looked for the next four or five months and they have nothing scheduled for a Wednesday. So it shouldn't be an issue, but. Oh, that was annoying. <laughs> so one of the reasons we moved there is they're actually open until midnight, unlike Fantasy Flight, which decided to uh, shorten up their operating hours. And uh, I was knowing that our Wednesday night games were going to fall on Christmas and New Year's coming up. I was so excited to get a long night of gaming in up until midnight. And I think the game night broke up at 10 because nobody could take it anymore. Dennis, you guys were out of there real early. Yeah, we, well, my wife had a chance to join us for a rare game night, and she we were planning on leaving a little uh, early anyways, but boy, that was, some, that was some tough conditions. Still a fun night, though, as always. Anytime you can get out and play some games and see, see the game group, it was still fun. But if, if our game night was a game, we would have experienced the uh, amateur open mic night variant. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's wonderful. Thanks for telling us about Bosk there, Dennis. 
What were you trying to navigate while being orally assaulted? So we ended up playing 1824 while being orally assaulted. And thankfully, we got through the rules explanation before the car crash that was the amateur Mike Knight ended up happening. So 1824, this is designed by O and O in the 18XX community, Helmut Oli and Leonard Lonnie Orgler, and published recently on, on Kickstarter by Fox in the Box. 1824 is set in Austria, and it has kind of a weird thing. So in 1830, there's all of these companies, and they're all the same functionally. They just may have different amounts of tokens, but they all form the same way. Once you buy 60% of them, one of the five or six float areas, then it floats and it exists, right? Not pretty much any company in 1824. The only company that forms normally is one of them. And I think there's nine companies in the game. The other ones are a whole bunch of companies that'll be formed by different miners sticking together, kind of like Voltron, and making different majors out of it. The gameplay was weird. I ended up winning, which is a rare rarity in that group. But I think it was mainly due to the fact that I was the only person that could handle the, the, loud, <laughs> the loud noises of the, of the musicians. But it was weird. I'm unsure of how I really feel about it yet, but I definitely think we're going to play it more because it's one of those fast 18xx. It just really felt on rails the first time we played. It seemed like everybody kind of did what they were supposed to. And I guess we didn't kind of see the decisions that were available in there. I have a copy coming. I think it's going to be one that we're going to play with Mark occasionally. So hopefully we can play it again and get back to it. But that was 1824. You know, when you first described this to me, I thought that it probably sounded reminiscent of 1873 Harzban. But now the more that you talk about that, that Voltron minor mechanism is actually in 1890. Yeah. You know, the railways of Osaka. But this one makes, that right, it's even weirder than that. They form at different times. They form with different amounts of these miners being traded in. It's actually kind of like, I can't remember which one. It was either 44 or 54 that it actually felt a lot like to me, where it's like they had all those railway. Do you remember that one, Mark, where they had all these different railways as well yep. that you could buy and then shove in? It was it was weird. We We enjoyed our play, but. Some people were not as happy with the game as others. Yeah, well, I mean, and to be fair, though, I mean, you're playing, <laughs> you're, you were playing with Scott Peterson, the owner of All Aboard Games, and you're playing with some uh, other pretty experienced 18xx players. So they were not big fans of it. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't see how much of it was due to the venue and the fact that some guy was beatboxing while playing the freaking harmonica. But <laughs> it certainly was uh, there. Some some people said, well, this was completely on rails and made one decision at the beginning of the game on what minor to get kind of done everything that made most sense from that point on so obviously i think we need to give it another play in much more peaceful conditions before we can even really start to think about it i enjoyed it uh the production was weird because the tiles were absolutely perfect and the tokens were nice and thick but the cards were just really thin same with the charters they were like tissue paper so we'll be interesting to see if maybe we'll replace those or something down the line but that was 1824. I think it's one that you're going to play with me sometime, Mark. It's a quick 18xx. Always what we're looking for. I came extremely close to kickstarting this one back in the day, and I actually had backed it. And literally like the last 12 hours, I pulled my pledge on it because that was sort of the period in time that I was looking at and saying, well, Jake's already getting this one. Why do I need to own it also? So I am not getting a copy of that. So I'm glad you did. I will always buy 18xx games. I am weak towards them. That is my that is my kryptonite trains. <laughs> so what else have you been up to playing, Mark? Well, another game that I have not played with you and have played with Dennis. Kyle Dennis, I'm so glad you're here tonight. Thank you. <laughs> Dennis is awfully modest about the fact that he, you know, he's talking about being a new gamer, but thus far, Dennis is up for darn near anything we've shoved him into, including <laughs> some games that are a little a little above your pay grade when you first jumped into it. But boy, let me tell you, you really took right directly to them and most recently that game was aura and labora by uve rosenberg so this game aura and labora is a game that i've had on my shelf of shame for quite a long time i was able to find a copy of it at uh, level up games it's been out of print for quite a while and i've always been interested in it because i've heard it described as lahav 2.0 and so i've just been dying for an opportunity to play it I finally just up and decided, you know what? It's going in my bag of the month and we're going to play it this month. And our, our first opportunity to play it was a couple of weeks ago. So let me give you a background. Aura and Labora, I would describe as literally half Lahav. It's half Glass Road. If you like either of those games, you're probably going to like Aura and Labora. What you do is you're trying to build up the best monastery and the grounds around the monastery 
you've got three workers, you've got two uh, lay brothers, and you've got one that's the prior. And on your turn, you can really do one of three things. You can either grab resources, you can build a building, or you can clear some land. And then there's a few other free actions. What's nifty about it is it's kind of got the resource wheel like Glass Road, where whenever you take resources, you take it based on whatever the the resource wheel is set at. So if the resource wheel says there's four clay, you get four, and then you move the little clay token down to zero. You essentially expend the available clay, leaving none left for anybody else. That's super neat. Also, when you build a building, spending the resources, this is the building part is literally identical to Lahav. When you build the building, if you still have your little prior guy, you can pop your prior on there and immediately take that action as well. You also don't clear your guys off the building every round. You only clear your guys off when you put all your guys out. So a lot of interesting decisions to make. Game lasts two trips around the wheel, at which point you then score up all your buildings and all your resources, and the one with the most victory points wins. Three plays in, I think we're probably averaging two and a half hours, three hours, somewhere in there, typical, and which I understand is pretty typical for Oran Labora. Dennis, you've played it twice with me. What do you think? Oh, yeah. That's one of those games where I said, Mark, anytime. I'll play it anytime. So much fun. I think one of the games we had, uh, we, were, we got ran up against the clock. So we got about 60, 70% done with the game and they had to call it and do the mad dash out the door pack routine. Um, but it's such a fun game. It's, it hits all the right buttons for me playing that game. Yeah. And one of the neat things, as you progress through the game, additional buildings start appearing. There's certain phases where you have to, uh, air quotes, feed your people. I mean, it's a new Rosenberg game, right? You have to feed your people. But unlike every other Rosenberg game, it's a carrot, not a stick. So instead of punishing you for not being able to feed your people, you get additional scoring if you can feed your people. I'm saying air quotes. They don't call it feeding. It's called a settlement phase. Because you get to build bonus buildings that then score the buildings around them. Really neat. At the same time, though, you also reveal new buildings you can buy. And the power ramp is ridiculous from phase to phase. Like the B buildings are so much stronger than the A buildings. And the C buildings and the D buildings, it's, it's amazing how much better they get. Did you see that, Dennis? Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, as you sit and then the buildings progress, it just, like you said, it gets wackier and wackier. And you're, you're constantly having to shift your strategy as you see what new cards come out after every settlement phase. You know, another thing it adds on top of the Lahab building strategy is the fact that location matters. You can only build them in certain places on your board in kind of the same way that uh, it does in Glass Road, right? And where there's scoring tiles that you only get scoring if there's like adjacent ponds or something like that. That mechanism exists in Aura and Labora as well. And so when you build your buildings and put them out on your board, you have to consider constantly where you're placing them and not screw up your other scoring opportunities. Mm-hmm. This is a game that certainly um, I've gotten three plays in in a short amount of time. Love it a lot. I, I still think Lahav is maybe my more favorite game out of the two of them. Glass Road, Lahav, Aura and Labora, any of those three, uh, I'm happy to play anytime, anyplace. So I'm sure we'll go into it a little bit more, Jake, when you've had a chance to play it. So much just a first look on this one. And as a first look, I think I'm going to rate this one a 3C on the mogul scale. It's a solid Uwe Rosenberg midweight euro. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing how it plays. It seems to have the kind of stuff I like in his in, in Uwe Rosenberg's games, the, the kind of resourcey stuff. And I really love the whole wheel thing that is in this game and also in uh, the Germany one. Come on, Jake, I can do this. Sorry, what? The Glass Road. Glass Road. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other one in Glass Road. Come on, Mark. You're the Uwe fanboy. You should know all this stuff. Well, that's I awesome. Know. I know. Oh, and hey, by the way, we got lit up on this one last time. Uva. Everybody happy? Uva. Uva Rosenberg. Uva. Uva. I know we've been Rosenberg. saying it wrong the entire time. Old habits die hard. So we're going to make a hard promise to use Uva going forwards. Wonderful. So that is Or Labora by Uva Rosenberg. Very nice. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I've also been playing it kind of small, interesting game that's kind of out of our wheelhouse. But before I explain the game, a local game store of ours has been doing some really cool stuff, and I kind of want to highlight them here. All Systems Go is a local game store in Northeast Minneapolis, but one of the cool things they do is they have game rentals. And I believe this is one of the only game stores in the cities that does this. And what they do is functionally, it's a tenth of MSRP, I believe, and you get to rent it for a week or so. And after you rent it for a week or so, when you return the game, you can choose to buy the game from them, at which point they will waive the rental fee. 
So functionally, if you think you're going to like the game and you might be buying it, you can try before you buy. And functionally, it's free, right? You're probably paying more than you would on whatever large big box online stores, whether they be the big A or Cool Stuff Inc. or Miniature Market or something like that. But for the fact that you get a kind of risk try out some games has been really cool. So one of the things I did is I tried a game that I thought I might like, but was kind of on the fence about because we usually don't like abstracts. And I rented Shobu by Manalise Vranas and Jamie Shadok. Don't quite know what language those last names are in, but not one that I speak well. And this is published by Smirk and Laughter Games. Shobu is a complete abstract. I think even the most staunch of abstract players would call this an abstract. There is four different boards on it, each one of them four by four. And there is both a light colored and dark colored board. Every single board is set up the same way with your opponent's pieces on their side of it, which is on the very opposite side of your four pieces. And what you do on your turn, you get to move one of your pieces up to two spaces on any one of the boards that's close to you of the four boards. And because there's two different colored boards, both light and dark, let's say I make a move on the dark board. Then I get to copy that move on any one of the other light boards, whether it be in front of me or in front of my opponent. But when you do the first move, you may not push other people's pieces, but the second copycat move does get to be able to push people's pieces. And the whole goal is to be the only person with your colored stones on one of the four boards. Whoever does that wins. It was really interesting. I played it five times in a row with my wife because it's a really fast little game. And I thought it was really cool. I definitely don't think it's something that I need to own because it's definitely outside of my wheelhouse of games that I think I generally like. But if you're looking for abstracts and kind of like the presentation of how this game looks, it's absolutely beautiful. It definitely could be something I could see people really liking. That is Shobu. Have you guys heard anything or played this game? I have not. Yeah, I remember seeing it at Gen Con around, and I think I've seen some of the other podcasters discuss it, but no, yours is the first experience I've heard of anybody actually playing it. It's neat. It definitely felt like an abstract where you could definitely teach this someone at a cabin or something, and they'd be like, oh, this is an old family game, but it played different than that. I could definitely see where there's a lot of strategy in it. I am not really a big fan of these styles of games, so I don't think that me pursuing that level of strategy is in it for me, but I... I it's a, it's a good little abstract. I mean, take that with a grain of salt as someone who doesn't really like abstracts. But on the mogul scale, I'd give it a 1, B, or C, depending on how much strategy there really is in this thing after my quick couple of five plays. But really cool. There's a rental place. I really suggest you guys try it out. It was It's it's awesome. They're really nice. And ended up renting Res Arcana from All Systems Go for the Christmas time, which should be fun. Help me unpack that. I got a couple questions here on that whole rental thing that I've been just uh, mulling about in my brain when you first told me about this. Like, okay, so you wanted to rent Res Arcana. Are you renting a used copy already or did they pull one off the shelf and unshrink wrap it and say, here you go? It's used. It's and it's okay. pre it's in a different area. And then the one that you buy, if I were to say, oh, my God, I love Res Arcana, I'm going to buy it. It'll be a new one. They'll, they'll give oh, me a brand new it, copy it, and it, they'll it, keep it. the okay. one used copy in the rental area. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And what, Shobu's probably, uh, Shobu's not that expensive of a game to start with, right? So your rental was like... Eh, I think it was 30, 40 bucks. Okay. The first time you rent is a little more expensive than the other times, but once they approve you as a good renter, you're, the, the, the cost lowers down from, I think it goes from 25% of MSRP to 10%. Oh, got it. Okay. So it gets much cheaper. Yeah. But I mean, hell, I mean, I've been selling and trading a lot of games on BGG and it seems like you lose a $5 cut anytime to try out a game anyways. So might as well try out for $5 and give it to a game store, you know? Sure. That's a game store I have not made it up to, but I've heard both you and Uncle Kirk talk, uh, say kind things about it. So I need to make my way up there and check it out. And Dennis, that one's, have you been there at all? I have not. I have been to a lot of different ones in the last year, but I have not made it to that one. But that sounds like a really, really cool feature. Yeah, agreed. So that is Shobu and all systems go. Why don't you talk about your last game you have on here, Mark? Cool. Uh, last game I'm going to talk about in my plays is it's funny. Jake and I had a long conversation about this game on Wednesday after we uh, fled the amateur, the amateur uh, singer songwriter night. And we were talking about, do you become jaded to games? And at what point do you just sort of go, uh, it's just another game. Do I really not enjoy games anymore? Luckily, I'm not there and neither is Jake. Neither obviously Dennis isn't either. 
But, you know, it certainly happens. And the reason you know it doesn't happen is when you play a game and instantly mid-play, you don't have to think about whether you like it. Just halfway, like within the first round, you're immediately going, oh, this is neat. I really like this game a lot. This, <laughs> I'm really enjoying this. That game that we're talking about is a game that was a loner from our friend J-Mac. It's Biblios by Steve Finn, published by Aiello Games. This game is so simple. It's five dice that keep track of scoring. And if you have a majority in that color, you get what's on the dice. There's two halves to the game. The first half, you draw a card and you put it in one of three places. You either put it in your hand, you put it in an auction pile, or you put it out in a open market for the other players to grab. And you don't get to pick, you don't get to like draw all four and then pick where they're going. You have to pick one card at a time. So if you're going to keep a card, then the next card that you draw has to go into the auction pile or the open market. And you do that all the way through the deck, then the auctions start. You take that auction pile, and you flip over the top card, and you start auctioning it. You keep going around the table till people bow out. But what you do is for cards that are part of the sets, you bid money for those, the money cards. And cards that have money on them, you bid cards out of from your hand. So you say, I'm going to pay four cards to get that four gold piece thing. After you've run through the auction pile, you then score up what's the point total of like the red cards and the blue cards and so forth. Couple of neat angles there. First off, the colors aren't symmetric, like if they have different distributions of numbers in there. And second off, there's some magic cheater cards in there that allow you to up increase or decrease the value of the scores for each color. Plays in about 30 minutes. I pretty much taught you the entire game right there in that time. Ah, oh, absolutely delightful. This is a great game, Jake. And I don't think J-Mac's getting his copy back, <laughs> FYI. Hilarious. Yeah, this has been one that's been on my radar for a really long time. And I think I could really use the kind of win that you just had. Because with Snowdonia, I can't say I don't like the game, but it just didn't like captivate me like usually games of its light wood, lightness would. But it seems like Biblios is something that will really light the fire underneath me, and I'm really excited to try it. Yeah, Dennis, this is one, too, that I think that uh, you're absolutely going to love as well. Well, so from the description, it sounds like it's right up my alley. It has about the same size box as Targi. Targi might be a little bit bigger, actually, now that I think about it. But, you know, it's very much of those small group play in about 30 minutes kind of thing. So this is one that I'm going to definitely seek to get in the near future. So that's Biblios by Steve Finn and Yellow. What would you give it on the mogul scale there, bud? So this is a 1B. Super simple to learn, but lots of neat decisions to it. Awesome. Um, Dennis, we actually were out of town together here a couple of weeks ago at a photography retreat and there was a day that was cold and gray and wasn't really a great photography day. And I said, Dennis, that we need to play. sounds like Minnesota. Uh, yes, in November. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Dennis, I really want to play a game. What you got for me? And you pulled out something delightful. I pulled out a game called Targi. Uh, it's from 2012. Uh, it's designed by Andreas Steiger, published by Cosmos. And I first played this game with uh, my wife and J-Mac. Boy, he's getting all the airtime today. He taught this game to my wife and I at MogulsCon 19. Uh, and we had a great time. It was actually one of those moments where in the middle of a game, like you just described, this is neat. And I had it, you know, it was on the way to my house before we even finished that game. Little did I know that they also make upgraded components. And because I listened to the show, I had to have those. And of course, they cost almost as much as the game. But that's a different story. <laughs> in the game. You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Uh, the game Targi, we are nomadic tribesmen who are putting out their nobles on a board. And the board is a, a specified grid with every time you play it, it's the same 16 cards around the outside. And it is a five by five grid. And there's a neat mechanism where wherever you place your nobles, you not only get the action or item that is on those noble cards, but you also get the item or action or tribe card where those two lines intersect. It's amazing how you, as you're playing this game, you think you know what which one you're going to get inside of the square. But a lot of times you just you misplace it or you, you don't calculate it right. And it turns out you're getting something you didn't really expect to get. But it's, it's a resource game and you're using those resources to then purchase tribe cards and building a tableau off to the side. It's a pretty heavy two player game. I think the box says 60 minutes, which makes it something a little bit meatier where you can kind of hunker in. Like you said, we had that afternoon there just to play a game. I would have loved to play games all weekend, but we just had that one afternoon and it's a really fun game because it really takes a while to get building up and you're putting together these tableaus 
And then by the time you get to the end game, once the end game is triggered, there's a couple of different ways that happens. Uh, you add up your victory points and, and you see who prevails. Yeah, this one really hurt my brain a lot more than I thought it was going to. As you're describing it, I'm like, okay, I get it. It seems pretty straightforward. But that action of picking the uh, rows and columns in which to, uh, <laughs> I don't know, battleship your cards, I would suppose I would say. It's almost like you're trying to battleship 7B to try to get your card. And <laughs> that was much harder than I guessed it was going to be. And there is definitely times I misfired and got something I didn't need. Yeah, and it's a pretty inexpensive game as well, you know, sub 20 bucks. And if you're a person who finds themselves playing a lot of two-player games, it's definitely worth having your collection. Uh, boy, what would I give it on the mogul scale? Mm, it's a little rulesy, so I'd probably go two, two B or two C. Does that sound about right? Um, yeah, I, I think it's a C in strategy for sure. Um, is it a two or is it a three in rules? Mm. Hard to say. By the new, by the new mogul scale, it might even be a three. It could be a three. Now, with- did take you a few more minutes, you know. And the box size certainly, it's there's a lot of game in there for what's a, what's kind of the. Uh, it's the same size box as Lost Cities, the original Lost Cities Cosmos box. Yes. It's little. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm here to tell you, you want the bling kit. Dang, that was cool. Oh, it's amazing. Well, I'm preaching to the choir on this one. You guys know, you know, just how much some upgraded components can make you not only playing the game a better experience, but the tactile experience of, of playing the game so much more fun. It's really nice when you are proud of how a game looks on the table and you when people stop by and they want to interact with it. You know what I mean? Like I just recently played Parks and I'm planning to play Parks a lot more over Christmas and we'll talk about it in the next episode. But it's just it's one of those games where people see it and they're like, yeah, I want to play. And they like to look at the things, you know, and it's just nice when games do that. Yeah. And this is one that uh, just seeing that small little box wouldn't you know, I would have thought there's just a little deck of cards in there or something like that. So what a pleasant surprise. Wonderful. Well, that was the games we played this week. A fun little list, if you ask me. Let's move into the main topic that will certainly be less long than our what we played this week subject. But <laughs> um, kind of what we've done the last while with our main topics is it's conversations that Mark and I have a lot in the background that we end up finally recording. And this has been one that I think we've talked about for a long time. So Mark and I, and Dennis as well, always play at third parties, at least when we play together. I play at Mark's house occasionally, maybe once a month, every other month kind of thing is how that works. But the vast majority of our together gaming happens at third party locations, whether it be Fantasy Flight Games or at the new brewery you've been going to. And so what... An interesting thing about that is it's always curating the bag of games for what you're bringing because you're not just going over to someone's house and they're going to pull whatever they want off the shelf. You probably it's better to overpack than underpack. And also with packing, it's interesting because, well, couple this with the fact that our group, we don't always know how many people are going to be there and what our configurations for tables going to be. You might want a kind of wider position for players. So it seems like there's always a couple of key positions we always try to fill. I always try to grab a five-player game because it seems like very few Euro games go to five players. And uh, I always try to get something that is quick and pick up in case a couple of people have to play some games while waiting for the other table to go. So through this conversation, we kind of resolved into a bag of the month club, which is an interesting idea. Mark, why don't you explain kind of what this is? Sure. And I think I probably need to do a little true confessionals of myself and my background and how I ended up here. I like a lot of variety. I like a crazy amount of variety. So what literally would happen every single week is every week I would completely empty my game bag, pick out eight new games for that night. You know, what do I feel like playing tonight? Well, this and this and this and this and this. So it was always a very random collection of whatever I happen to feel like playing that week. And then at the end of that game night, I'd come home and I'd pack them all back up into my game closet and do the same thing every week. That's great. I always get to try a lot of things and run a bunch of different games and so forth. But it came with some downsides, the least of which being the packing and unpacking of my bag literally nonstop. Half the problem was that a lot of these games literally were the first time anybody else aside from me had seen these games. So a lot of time was spent teaching these games. And the backside of that one is, is that a game that somebody had learned the week before and said, hey, that one's great. I'd really like to play that one again. Oh, it's not in my bag anymore. <laughs> we played it last week, so I left it at home. And so people would never get to back up and get any better at games because I'd leave them at home. We just played them last week. Anyway, through the talking of this, we had sort of a long-term goal to play games a little bit more less titles more often this year. And what we decided to do is we decided we were both just going to pack a bag for the month 
And those were going to be our games for the month. So we get a chance to get a few more reps in on each game and standardize and sort of uh, smooth out the bumps in the games that we're bringing. And so far, we've been doing it for three months long enough that I think we can uh, talk about our experiences with that a little bit more. Right. And I think it's worked out absolutely wonderfully. It's so nice to know, Okay, well, Mark and I played or Labora last week. He is going to have Orlebora this week. If I really like that, I'd love to dive into it again. You know, and I think it helps empower some of the non-game runners in our group to kind of tailor make what they want to play. Yeah, for sure. And it's one of those that we've had to make a little bit of changes in mid-flight when you sort of realize that, you know, I really do need something that's about an hour long and plays five. There's nothing in my bag that plays more than four. And uh, I don't really want to play filler games the whole time. So we've had to do a little tweaking on it. But all in all, it's been a really cool experience because what's happened is we've had a chance to play some games multiple times over the course of that month. And it's become a little more predictable collection of stuff. Agreed. So why don't I start with my bag first? Because I actually have a pretty big confession. This was large in part, I feel like, some of my doing. And I was not able to make a bag of the month for any of the months, actually. It's a long story. Tyler had a whole bunch of games and had my game bag, so he had to bring a whole bunch of weirder games in. So I haven't really had a bag of the month, but it's been the same couple of things for the last while. First and foremost, I've been bringing Age of Steam a lot because I have a myriad of maps towards it, and it plays a whole bunch of different player accounts. So that's a game that can really play a bunch of different people. For my midweight Euro that I've been bringing and really wanting to play, I've been bringing Lorenzo Il Magnifico, which plays well up to five with the expansion now. And it's just really tight, brutal experience that I think a lot of people in the group really like. I've also put Pax Transhumanity into my box because it takes up no space and it's one of those games I think Mark and I will tuck away to play. And then finally, I know the listeners have heard it. I've been playing Bus a whole bunch in the past three weeks. And guess what? That's because it's my bag of the month. So now with my weird ad hoc bag of the month, Mark, what have you been bringing in your December bag? <laughs> so my December bag is, again, I'm trying to curate a variety of experiences there, both uh, newer games that I want to get some more reps in on, as well as games that I know are just favorites inside our group and various play counts and various play links and so forth. So the uh, the stars of the show for this month have been, uh, as we talked about, Aura and Labora. I just decided to start putting it in the bag so we'd play it. I've also got City of the Big Shoulders in there, which is a game that I've only played once and want to get more reps in. And so I'm just going to start bringing it every week. Brussels 1893 is in there because it was in last month and didn't get played. So that's my rule. It stays in there till it gets played. World Without End. eh, That was a mid-flight ad just because I just got it and was super excited to play it. And (laughs) we've now gotten to play it a couple times. Tribune. That is absolutely one of my favorite games and one that I never get tired of playing. We haven't played it yet this December, but I know it'll get played a lot and it plays up to five. I've got Ra in there, which we talked about at length recently. Oh, we have been playing that so much. It's been great. That's been the best bag inclusion that I need to buy. Oh, for sure, because less than an hour and just good player count and great decisions and so forth. Dennis, you've played Ra, haven't you? No, that's the one I always seem to be Ooh. at the table right next to it. Oh, you got to clear what you're doing and come just, play raw. Just it's stop amazing. my game. Just stop the one I'm in and just go over. Just stop. Sorry, yeah. guys. Sorry, guys. <laughs> this is kind of, we're going to have to wrap this up. We got it. We got to tuck over. <laughs> and then I've got a couple of small ones in there. I'm currently, I'm packing Stick Elm, our little trick taking game. Eggs of Ostrich, a imported three player only Japanese game about putting ostrich eggs into a bag and not breaking it. And finally, a Hisashi Hayashi roll and write called Rolling America. That's my December bag collection. Now, in proof in the pudding, Dennis, you've seen kind of both Mark bringing whatever random collection of garbage and Mark bringing a repeatable bag. What's been your experience as a third player, a third party player at our tables? Let's just say I would be absolutely fine if this was the rest of winter into spring bag because uh it really helps when uh, people play games a couple times especially when we've got a shorter playing window and we can cut out the 15 30 minute teach on some of these games it just means more time to play more thing i'm a big fan of the of the monthly what's in the bag kind of a, a system versus as much as I love new games every time, it's kind of neat to revisit some of these and go, oh, yeah, this was fun for this reason. Or I'm going to tweak my strategy this time around. Well said. Right. Well said. So that's well, wonderful. I think one thing I'm going to do going forward is now, you know, after we've had been running this for a few months, I'm going to sort of make a point of pulling the game table. We've always tried to say, hey, what should we bring? And nobody ever contributes anything. 
But being that it's the, hey, it's going to be the game for the next month or two, I'm going to actually try to poll people and just go, hey, what games do you want to see in there for the next month? And try to get a little input on it. Yeah, that's a great idea. Great Western Trail. <clears throat> yeah, cough, cough. I agree. Well, the fact that we have like four or five copies of Great Western Trail bouncing around the game group, we should be able to figure that out, you know? Well, it'll get there. Yeah, it'll get there. So ironically, that that is in uh, Uncle Kirk's December bag, who was oh. not there on Wednesday. Yeah, so Mark and I think what we're going to have to do is Mark, we're going to have to put that in one of our bags. We can't rely on Kirk. There were a couple of people that were a little salty that game wasn't there on Wednesday. I know Barb and Corey wanted to play that in the worst way. <laughs> Put you on the spot here. If Dennis Zerwas is going to make a December bag, what's in Dennis's December bag? Well, I've learned I used to come with a bag and I basically just realized I'm just bringing a bag to bring a bag because you guys have so much more exciting stuff. And a lot of my ba- uh, games in my bag, Uncle Kirk. If that's cool, if I call him Uncle Kirk as well, I mean, might as well. Every, oh, he's everyone's our, doing it. He's the podcast. He's everyone's uncle. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the podcast uncles. uncle. That sounds very mafia-like, but I'm going to move on. A lot of the games that I would bring, <laughs> he will also have in his bag. So I just bring a, a just-in-case bag. You know, if for some reason, nobody brought any any games, and we're all just sitting there twiddling our thumbs. I've got the usual suspects of, I think last weekend I brought Bosk. I've got Wingspan. I actually brought Downforce just for a little an, a little old school love in there. Uh, and then uh, some smaller games. And that's one thing I've really learned by the game group and listening to you guys is the curation, the art of a curation of a bag, not only for so many factors, the group that you're going to be playing with, the time that you have, the the different group combinations that you could have, player count. It, it's it's a skill to do it right. And it's uh, I admire you guys for being able to pull games. And it's so smooth that I think a lot of the people who play don't realize just how smooth it is to be able to go, all right, we're doing this. And then it's off. And you guys are teaching and we're all good. Oh, I think you're giving us too much credit there, Dennis, but I'll take it. Yeah, that's. It's, I think it's been a really good idea. And I think it also works out well between us game runners. I'm not going to try to delete it. There's no like rules. Anybody can run games. But it seems like Mark Kirk and I all run games. and. If Mark's playing Orat Labora and I don't ever think I'm going to be able to play it, that really puts like a damper on whatever I'm going to play because it's like, yeah, I really wanted to try Orat Labora or whatever thing. Insert XYZ game in there. And knowing that he's going to have it for a couple more weeks and I can probably play it in the next couple of weeks and it'll still be in that bag means a lot. You know, it means that I can maybe play something else and play something that everybody else will like more versus Mark and Kirk and I all playing our labor together. Yeah. You know? And for sure, you know, I, I love running games. Jake loves running games as well. But the downside of that is we kind of need other people to bring their bags too, so that we can actually play together once in a while. But maybe yeah. through doing this now, people know the games in our bags and they can just grab a game out of our bag and run it even if we're not in it. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's awesome. That's another angle. Hey, what's in your bag? Love to hear about it. Go ahead and tweet us at Gaming Moguls on uh, Twitter or Instagram us and take a uh, what's in your bag picture would be super sweet to share with us this month. We'll take pictures of our bags and share them out there and let us know what you're carrying along with you for the month. And uh, let's all kind of take that pledge of forming a bag of the month club. All right. So I'm going to set the stage on something here for our second main topic of the night. That's what you get when you get three moguls. More stuff. I'm going to set the stage. You're at your local big box retailer. You're walking by the game section and you see, and this happens every time I'm there. I'm always curious to see what's happened at that one that looks curiously like a bullseye, being that they've started to carry games and a bunch of exclusive games. And you go there and you see some people huddled in front of the game section. Are they huddled in front of the Target exclusive version of Captain Sonar? No, no, they are not. They're huddled in front of the copies of Factor Crap. And they're huddled in front of the copies of all those just dumb party games that Target has an entire aisle of. And they're trying to pick about which one of those would be the best one to give for the gift. And guys, I can't help myself. I have to walk up to him and go, um, excuse me, I might know something about this stuff. And that shelf right next to it, that might be what you're more interested in. Well, I've never heard of any of those games. Oh, well, let me tell you about this. I don't know. I might be overstepping my bounds, but I've had reasonably good luck talking people into games that are actually decent rather than some of those big garbage mass market games that are on the shelf. And as a result of that, we've got some recommendations for you of games that we've got in our collections that we think don't suck. And we'd like you to consider those as your games that don't suck. With that in mind, here's our segment entitled Family Games That Don't Suck. Jake, (laughs) give us a game that doesn't suck. So this is also really timely because we're just going into Christmas and I almost packed this game for Christmas, but it's just, it weighs too much. It's it's too much. 
I am speaking of the climbers. So what you're doing in the climbers is you are little dudes who are climbing up a mountain that we are all moving around as we go about it. So it has a slight dexterity. I'm putting this in air quotes because it's not part of the game, but you're physically moving things around and moving around and walking around this mountain and seeing how you can climb up. And it also comes with these cute little ladders that you actually can use and are the right size. You can climb up certain blocks. And the whole goal is to be the person who's the highest on the mountain for a whole turn where no one else can get any higher. It works out really well for a couple of reasons. It's very physical where you're kind of walking around kind of like you are at Jenga where you're kind of piecing around and patrolling and trying to see what moves best for you. It's very thinky for a very simple little rule set. And it just has this table presence that really draws people into it and want to play. It's a big Google a picture of it. it's a big pastel tower of block and it's just really fun. And if worse comes to worse, you can give it to someone who's like five and they can use it as playing blocks if they want to, if they don't actually want to play it as a game. But it's just such a fun little game. And it really can be a game that anyone of a lot of different ages can play and have a lot of fun with. That is The Climbers. That is my number one pick. Dennis, what's your number one family game that doesn't suck? Well, again, I'm just I'm joining you guys on the show. But you will let me know if what I do pick sucks, right? <laughs> of course. That is clearly how we'll talk to you. <laughs> okay. Just, just want to make sure. I have looked behind the curtain, Dennis. Nothing sucks behind the curtain. That's not okay, true. Okay, good, good. That's not true. Because I, I almost had I almost had crap or fact. Is that, am I saying that right? That's On correct. My list. Or then chameleon. I thought, I thought, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually pulled my, my family for this one and said, hey, guys, what, what games do we have that don't, that don't suck? And this is one, uh, two of them that they said, I'll give you the first one here. Our first pick would be Quacks of Quedlinburg. That's the push your luck game. It's also a bag builder. And you've talked about this on the show, but basically you're pulling out these different ingredients, creating these uh, ingredient bags and pulling out the different ingredients to put together these awesome chains of different triggers. And you're pushing your luck and whoever gets the farthest on the on the spinning wheel of bubbles gets the most victory points. And it's a it's such a fun game. Talk about one of those games where the experience is improved by upgrading the bits. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's so much better. I won't even play the cardboard version anymore. Do you have the upgraded bits, Dennis? I did. And what's funny is we played the heck out of this in the spring when we first got it. And you could see by the BG Stats number of plays, we just kind of fell out of love with it. But about a month and a half ago, we got the acrylic bits. And that thing is off the chart. It's one of our go-to favorites, and I'm sure it'll get played two, three, four times during the winter break this year. Yeah, this is a super tactile game where you're fishing around inside the bag and just those nice heavyweight chunks coming out of there and so forth. Ooh, fantastic. And yep. another thing I love about this game is the fact that it features simultaneous play. And man, when you've got a, a kind of a family weight game going on, when you're all doing stuff together and laughing about it, that's really a hallmark of a great family game. Yep, it's it's great. We just love it. It's one of our favorites. That's awesome. Quacks of Quedlinburg, great choice. My first choice is one I just talked about. So I'm going to keep it nice and short. And I'm going to say Biblios. That's going into my family pile really, really soon. Biblios, a family game that does not suck. Jake, what's your next choice? My next one is a train one because I have to be a train one because I'm annoying. And I'm going to choose Paris Connection. Paris Connection is one of the first Cube Rail games I've ever played where... Pretty much all you're doing on your turn is it's very like Irish Cage. We've talked about a bunch and you're trying to improve the routes of these different rail lines. It's really simple. It's the simplest of the cube rail games I've played and it's just really fast and it sets the worst, most annoying part about this game is both you have to randomly set up the board and you need to then sort out the pieces after. That's the most annoying, arduous part of this game. And I think it could really be, for the right family, a really fun little game. I need to bring it to the game group more because it's a fun, fast, light, cute real game. That is Paris Connection. Ah, great choice. Dennis, I'm assuming you're not going to have a train game for your second choice, are you? Not yet. Maybe in 2020. We'll see. Uh, the game that I've got... You'll be one of us soon. Yeah, <laughs> soon enough. Uh, the game I've got here is a game that when it hits the table, it's always a good time. It has a higher player count, which is really nice. And there's just not a whole ton of strategy in it. So the main part of this game that we enjoy is just it's fun. And that would be Camel Up. I've got the second edition. It's just a good time. You know, just if you don't take yourself too seriously, it's kind of fun to just uh, enjoy. Let the let the dice come out of the pyramid, as we say, 
And it, no matter if it's a, a beginning gamer or someone who's gamed a while, it's a very, very fun time. And that's Camel Up. That's an awesome choice. I've never played the real version of Camel Up. I've played Camel Up cards a lot, uh, thanks to Jake, and love that one. But um, are you I kidding really me? Like try... There's I, no, no there, there is no way that's true. How <laughs> how have you never played it? I have never seen it in person, Jake. Oh my god, it's so funny. There's I, I normally don't say that I play most of my games with like Mark and at Wednesdays, but Camel Up is a game that I've played with my family like a thousand times. I played it so much that I've had multiple beers spilt on this game. Wow. My, my individual copy. Yeah, I've had yeah. I have to like replace the coins or something. It's awesome. I'll bring it to Wednesday and we'll play it as like a quick 30 minute thing as like the last wrap up. It is so fun and your family would love it, Mark. It's great. Sounds great. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. I love Camel Up cards. So the granddaddy is one I'm certainly going to love. Wonderful. What is your one choice, Mark, that is not Biblios, the non-Biblio selection? <laughs> I purposely went real short because I actually want to talk for a minute or two on my choice. A choice that I can't believe I've sort of forgotten about this game because as I was looking for spots in this one, I pulled this out and I went, oh, I love this game. I forgot what an awesome game this is. I didn't bring this game in my January bag. It will be in my January bag, spoiler. I'm referring to Lanterns. Lanterns is a game where you're putting out a uh, four-sided tile and you're trying to match it up to a tile that's already on the board. If you do, you get the card that matches the colors that you paired up and everybody else around the table gets whatever color happens to be pointed at them. Ultimately, it's a set collection game where you're trying to fulfill certain sets. And when you fulfill those sets, you get some scoring tiles. Ooh, this is just a it's a great game. It's really pretty. It's uh, actually fairly thinky. Rules are super easy to understand. And, you know, it's a perfect fit for that 45 minutes to an hour, four person game, smaller box kind of thing. Jake, you did play this with me once upon a moon long time ago, right? I don't remember. I think it was pre-BG stats, but it seems familiar. And it's one of those games that I've always thought about buying because it's beautiful. It's got this nice blue thing. It's a bunch of different tiles that you match up, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, but I don't remember it very well. I, I, I would like for this to be in the January bag because I think it'd be a game that I like. I like puzzly little things like this. Yep. And it seems to me we played it a year and a half ago and you liked it quite a bit. And then weirdly, it never saw the light of day again. Got it. That sounds like maybe pre uh, pre week monthly bag mark. Most certainly. So anyway, that's Lanterns. We're going to give that a two B on the mogul scale because by God, we've never talked about that game before. And that's a shame. Gotcha. Just a quick little look at family games that don't suck. So as you're in the big box retailer looking at games, maybe consider some of these. With that, hey, it might be time to go off and enjoy some holiday cheer. How about you boys? Oh, yes. I can't I believe ready. it's, it's mm-hmm. so soon. A little fun background. We've been trying to get this episode together for several days, and Jake has been the man of many Christmases this year. The man of many. It's one of, I think, eight I have. It's just ridiculous. I have a really big family, and there's a whole bunch of different Russian nesting dolls of celebrations. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's too much. It's my cross to bear. Dennis, man, it has been a treat having you on board tonight. Thanks so much for coming out behind the curtain. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I really appreciate the invitation, and I look forward to keep going on those show notes and making uh, a lot of fun memories in 2020. Heck yeah. Let's do this again sometime soon. Sounds good. I think that about wraps things up for this evening. Been another great episode. And so, for the gaming moguls, I'm Mark. Well, I'm Jake. And I am Dennis. Good night, everybody. This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls Podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.